Well, there is, there's a couple here tonight that we, uh, we need to recognize. I don't want to embarrass anyone, but uh, today is the 50th wedding anniversary of a couple in here. And it's Gail and Walter. Just wave your hand at us, Walter and Gail. Everybody knows Gail. 50 years. That, that's a great, uh, it's a great thing to celebrate. It's a great testimony to people in our church, the, to their family, and to their grandchildren. And uh, It is a testimony to Carla and Richard, and um, just glad we can celebrate that. Carla and I are halfway there. We celebrated uh, our silver anniversary last week, so we've made it halfway. Gail? You need to talk to Carla and tell her the secret. I, I don't know if she can put up with me for 25 more years. God bless you guys. We pray many, many more years. Oh, I want to mention two books that I mentioned last week. I brought them in here with me tonight. I, you remember Revolution Within that I referred to last Wednesday and I was complaining that one of you had borrowed it and I found it in my <laughs> office. <laughs> so I, I apologize. It was put in the wrong place. And uh, I'm used to looking for books at certain places and I had st- stuffed it down. And, but this is a great resource. I highly recommend Revolution. Somebody tonight at dinner told me they're reading this right now. Who was that? Uh, right back here. April Hayes reading this book. Uh, we have it in the bookstore. If we don't have it, she can get some more in. If you, if you want a book that's a keeper, that's a great um, book to read. Let's see the connection there. Uh, Diana Yance's parents attend Dwight Edwards Church out in Texas. So that's we, we didn't know that, at that when we started reading that book. But the other book that I referred to, I think I referred to it last week. If I didn't, I'm going to touch on it tonight. This is John Piper's book on Desiring God. Uh, good reading. This will stimulate you in many, many ways. So I encourage you to, to purchase that book if you're looking for something good to read. We can get John Piper's book in our bookstore, some of his other resources. Uh, he, he's a great man of God. And uh, somebody gave me, Jim Newsom gave me a tape Tuesday morning. He was here. Jim, are you here? He was here last Wednesday night when I started on one, Psalm 112. And he saw me Tuesday morning at men's prayer. And he said, I thought you might want to listen to this. And he had a, a message that John Piper had preached on Psalm 100. And I've gotten halfway through it. And boy, it is rich. So uh, John Piper, is a, he's not only... This is a really a rare thing to find a man who is both a good writer and a good speaker. Usually you're one or the other. That's what I've discovered in my reading and listening to guys preach. Piper is, is he's good at both. Uh, he can preach circles around a lot of great writers, but he's also a great writer himself. So anything John Piper writes, you ought to get a hold of. All right, let's look at Psalm 112. And how far did I get last week? I, anybody? <laughs> I have caught a lot of flack over that. Harold told me tonight, said Richard, or actually told me this the other day, if I don't go any further than one, he doesn't know if he's going to live long enough to get through Psalm 112. <laughs> You don't have to do the last part of my funeral. <laughs> I said, I asked him, if, is his runway getting short? You know, that's, a, that's an expression, you know, that you've, you've lived a long time. But I'll, I promise I'm going to get at least halfway through Psalm 112 tonight. So let me, pardon me? Praise the Lord. <laughs> There's a lot, see, there was a lot in praise the Lord, guys. There's a lot, lot to be said about that. Yes, that is. Good memory. Let's read again Psalm 112. 
It's worth our reading again tonight. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Not You may have the NIV probably in front of you. So if it sounds different, this is the New Living Translation. So follow along in your copy as I read Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Happy are those who fear the Lord. Yes, happy are those who delight in doing what He commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy, and their good deeds will never be forgotten. When darkness overtakes the godly, light will come bursting in. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. All goes well for those who are generous and who lends freely and conduct their business fairly. Such people will not be overcome by evil, evil circumstances. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. They give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will never be forgotten. They will have influence and honor. The wicked will be infuriated when they see this. They will grind their teeth in anger. They will slink away their hopes thwarted. Well, since it's good to praise the Lord, let's, let me pray one more time and let's offer our praise to God tonight. Father, it is good, the psalmist said, to praise the Lord. It is appropriate to praise your name. And we do that tonight with purpose. We do that tonight with delight. And we do it tonight because we have learned through life that you are faithful, you are consistent, and you are a covenant-keeping God. You are a good God who is not only good, but altogether good. You can do nothing but good. We praise your name tonight. We praise you for your great salvation that you have wrought within us, that you have changed our hearts of stone, as the Scripture says, to hearts of flesh, And you have put within us not only the desire, but the ability to do good, good things that are pleasing to you. And so tonight, as men and women who are filled with your your praise and adoration, we bow before you tonight humbly and we praise your name. And I pray, Father, that our praise and adoration may not, will not stop here tonight as we spend time in the word, but that praise and adoration would fill us tomorrow as we go into the marketplace, as we go into the workplace, as we go into our neighborhoods. May our, the people around us see the praise of God manifested in our lives. And we pray, Father, that through the study tonight, we will learn something new and fresh from your word. Father, speak through me and recall to my mind the things that you have taught me this week. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let me uh, touch just real briefly, I promise, on a couple of things that we covered last Wednesday as a kind of a launching pad for tonight. We saw last Wednesday night, the first thing in our text, that this man, the upright man, properly recognized the Lord. And this is when We spent all the time on the the subject of it is good to praise the Lord. The upright man properly recognizes the Lord. And then secondly, and this is where we ended last week, we saw that the upright man 
not only recognized the Lord properly, but he had a proper response to God. And we saw that in uh, the first part of, of verse 1. Happy are those who fear the Lord. Do you remember the, uh, the emphasis I placed last night on this part of the text? And I said that it is, it's critical that we have a right response to God. It is imperative that we respond rightly to God. And I gave you the illustration last Wednesday night of the, of the experiment that the researchers did. And they took the, the guys in the doctor's office and they painted the scars on the face, sent them out of the waiting room. And unbeknownst to the participants, they had taken the scar off and all of them responded the same way that the people were rude to them and cold and distant. And my point that I made last Wednesday night is that our response to God as our Father has a lot to do with how we perceive ourselves. And this was the question last Wednesday night. Do we believe God is telling the truth about us? When God says that He loves us with an eternal, unchanging love, do we believe God is telling the truth about us when He says that He has loved us with the complete extent of His capacity to love us? Do we believe God is telling the truth about us when the Scriptures teach us that He loves us enough to make us joint heirs with His Son, Jesus Christ? Do we believe the Father is telling the truth about us when He tells us that He loves us with an unconditional love? It's imperative that we have a right response to God. And that response to God is often conditioned to how we perceive ourselves in light of the Father. The Father loves us, ladies and gentlemen. In the book and the Gospels, uh, Jesus says that He showed the disciples the full extent of the Father's love for them. And secondly, guys, we mentioned last week that David here is speaking of a reverential fear. This is not a fear lest God should hurt me, but this is a fear lest I should offend a loving and gracious God. And then the point we made here was, how does the Father win our fear, this reverential fear? Remember the conclusion last Wednesday night? How does God win our fear? I suggested to you that God wins our fear through His forgiveness. Uh, this past Saturday, um, we had a death in the church. Gary Good passed away. and You remember, we've prayed for Gary Good for nine months since he was diagnosed with a, a very serious brain tumor. And he, uh, he went home to be with the Lord this past Saturday morning and we did his funeral Monday. And One of the largest funerals I've ever conducted. Uh, people were standing in, in the North Chapel of Memorial uh, Park Funeral Home. In the North Chapel it was packed. People were standing against the walls in the back. And then we went to, right there in Memorial Park and did his internment there and the burial, the graveside. And I, I don't think I've done a funeral where there that was, were that many people that went to the graveside for the, for the, the internment. They were, the, the tent was packed and there were people standing, gathered around and I had to kind of raise my voice just so people could hear what I was saying there at the graveside. But at Gary Good's graveside, here's the comment that I made. Ladies and gentlemen, an appropriate question for us here today, and I'm speaking in the context of Monday afternoon now. An appropriate question for us here is, where is Gary Good? Well, I submitted that the, the Scriptures tell us, first of all, that Gary Good is in a better place. The Scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 
Here he go. If he had the opportunity to come back, he wouldn't want to come. He's in a better place. And secondly, the Scriptures tell us that Gary Goode now is free from the dominion of sin. Now, we, we tend, in Gary Goode's uh, case, to think about the, the, uh, uh, the seriousness of his physical affliction. Gary Goode suffered at the last. And uh, cancer does a horrible thing to the body. And all of us have had that experience with some family member, or even maybe some in here have suffered with cancer yourselves. But the point I was making that afternoon at the graveside of Gary Goode, as, as tragic and as difficult that cancer was to Gary Goode, I can guarantee you when Gary Goode stood before Jesus Christ, he didn't concentrate on the fact that he was free from a body that was racked with physical disease. I'm sure that was part of it. But I promise you, Gary Goode was celebrating the fact, the fact that he had been forgiven of his sins. He was standing in the presence of a holy God through in front of Jesus Christ in His presence. And He was celebrating the fact of grace, forgiven of sins. Ladies and gentlemen, I think sometimes we don't realize how much we have been forgiven. And a man that can respond to God in, in reverential fear is a man that's been stimulated by the grace and forgiveness of God. Show me a man who understands how much God has forgiven him and I'll show you a man who loves God in reverential fear. So that's basically what we talked about last Wednesday night. Let's pick up here. And we got to look at the last part of verse 1. Uh, um, uh, yes, happy are those who delight in doing what He commands. The upright man not only fears the Lord, but the text says that he finds great delight in His commands. Now, guys, uh, there's, a, there's a great principle here in this text, and it's this. A right response to God, and we're talking still about the right response to God. A right response to God always involves obedience. Would you agree with me? It always involves obedience, uh, an obedience to His commands. I, I love this new board that we bought. It cost... Uh, about 300 bucks this thing we listed for. We got it at a deal, though. I love it because you can write on it and flip it over and surprise everybody. See, Jimmy doesn't know, even know how to use this board yet. But uh, <laughs> In fact, he still uses that thing back there in the back. But uh, A right response to God always involves obedience. But that's not all. It also involves delight. Uh, obedience, and I've taught this before in here on Wednesday nights when we were doing the Ten Commandments here. You remember when I taught you about... Uh, obedience to the law of God involves always involves justice and mercy. Now, the justice part of the commandments, that's we, we, when we think of the commandments or the law of God, we usually think in the context of, of the negative. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet anything that belongs to thy neighbor. That's the, the negative part. That is the justice part of the law of God. But I've also taught you that it involves the mercy part or the positive part of the law. The, the positive response to the law. You see, not only should we not covet anything that, our, that is our neighbor's, not only should we not bear false witness against our neighbor, but we should respond positively to our neighbors. Uh, this is easily applied, you guys. I have neighbors all around me. 
Uh, and I know my neighbors. I know the callers to the to the right of me and to the left of me, the Murdochs, and uh, behind me are, are a, a new family, Greg and his wife. Well, I forget her, her name, but and I got brand new neighbors across the street. Just met last Tuesday night. Just moved in. The Millers, and I know my neighbors. Um, and, and, and the justice part of this law tells me that I ought to I ought to obey the covenants in my neighborhood. You know, I ought to keep a nice lawn and not 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 violate their property and. That, that's the justice part of the law. But it doesn't stop there. I'm not fulfilling my obligations to my neighbor if I don't move toward them in a positive way. In mercy. I ought to express myself to them in mercy and in kindness. I've got a neighbor right across the street, uh, directly across the street, that's been my neighbor for uh, about a year and a half now. And, and I, I really struggle with this one. I just I don't know how to respond in the mercy part to this guy. A lot of complications over there. A lot of complications, I think, with the law, and uh, it's just tough. And you know, I'm a I'm a minister, and I part of my ministry is helping people who are hurting. And 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 part of me says, you know, if you if you respond that way to him, you're just going to open up a whole can of worms. And here's a, a guy's going to be at your house all the time, and and you don't know you don't know whether the guy's you know sane or not. And that's, that's I'm having these kind of I'm just being honest with you. I'm having these kinds of struggles. How to respond to, to Dwayne across the street. I won't give you his last name because you might know him. Uh, but I, I'm just struggling in this area. But, but that's because obedience involves more than just justice. It involves mercy. Now, I've not violated him in any, in any way. But I don't think I've really fulfilled the commandment totally toward Dwayne. But then there is the delight. And that's where the text comes into into. Um, play tonight. Guys, um, this is this is rich here. And what is what do you think of when you think of the word delight? And the psalmist said that we all the the upright man responds this way to God's commandments. He delights in his commandments. Um I don't know why when I think of delight, I often think of food, you know. Um, and I know some of you are thinking of that right now. But think of those pleasurable things. The things in life that bring you pleasure or joy. You delight in those things, don't you? Now, he, I think this is one of the uh, most important parts of this psalm for us, this, in my opinion. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to illustrate this delight to you, okay? Um, about, I don't know, three months ago, uh, we, I redid the kitchen uh, for Carla. She wanted new wallpaper, and so it took me a, it was a lot of work. Put up new wallpaper, strip some old, and put up some new, and she just loves it. Well, right after that, Carla came home one day with a, a small tear or sample of some more paper that she that she she stuck it up in the pinned it up in the uh, the guest bathroom that flows off the kitchen, so I would see it, and so I. I saw it, and she, I said, what's this? She says, oh, don't you think that would be beautiful in our guest bathroom? It flows right in off this paper. And, you know, I said, I don't know. I don't really like that paper that much. And so she eventually took it down and put it away and forgot about it. Well, uh, in February, she had a birthday, and I surprised Carla with a trip. I got the airline tickets. And see, there's this conference up in Chicago, this worship and arts conference. She just loved it. I took her to it once, and... So for her birthday, I surprised her with all the trip to go up to Chicago to this conference. Well, that was last week. I mean, she was gone all last... I don't know if I mentioned last week that she was gone, but all last week, Carla was gone. Up in, it was in Chicago. And I hate being home alone, but for, for weeks, I've planned this. 
while Carla was gone, uh, actually, like three weeks ago, I went to the pl- I knew where she got the wallpaper, the same place we bought the other. So I went to see the lady, and I said, Carol, look, Carla's going to be leaving town the week of so-and-so. I want you to order this paper because while she's gone, I'm going to come get it and I'm going to put, I'm going to read to her bathroom while she's gone. So when she gets back, she's just going to be, you know, shocked and surprised. So I said, I can't pick it up till the week she leaves because if I bring it home, Carla will find it. I can't hide it. So I, so I told Carol, I promise I'll be back. So Carla left and uh, Thursday morning, which was, uh, uh, you know, a week ago tomorrow, that's my day off. I ran up, I had already, all week I had, prepped the walls and stripped and took a towel rack. You know, she did, they don't ceramic towel. She just hates those things. I took it off and repatched over that. Got the wall ready. And Thursday morning, my day off, I ran up there and I bought this wallpaper. And I worked all Thursday and, and Saturday. I, had, I still had to do some stuff. And, and then I found this oil painting. That It was an oil painting of a rooster. And I, I knew she would like it. I wasn't sure, but I, I felt like she'd like it. So I bought that oil painting, and I hung that where the towel rack was. Anyway, Sunday afternoon, she, she her flight's from Chicago, and her dad brings her home. And I, I'm rushing home to church because I want to get there before she gets there. Anyway, I don't say a word about it, and she walks in. She almost screams, you know, when she walks in. And she sees this, oh, you know, I, guys, listen, when she discovered what I'd done for her, you know what I was doing inside? I was going, yes, 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 yes. I was just having a blast because I knew it would bring her joy. But I'm telling you something. Do you, you see what, where I'm going with this? There was a part of me, about that much of me, about that much of that was for selfish reasons. Because we've been married 25 years and I know what brings her joy. But I'm telling you, I love, I love for her joy to spill over into me. I, I, I'm telling you, I had as much fun with that as she had with it. Now, this is what I've just described to you is what John Piper calls uh, uh, Christian hedonism. That's why I brought this book. You need to get this book, Desiring God. The argument that John Piper makes in that one of the arguments is is that John Piper in that book and another book he, he's written is. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. Now, listen, listen to this quote out of this book, Desiring God. This is John Piper. If our Father's heart is full of deep and unshakable happiness, we may be sure that when we seek our happiness in Him, we will not find Him out of sorts when we come. We will not find a frustrated, gloomy, irritable Father who wants to be left alone. Instead, we'll find a Father whose heart is so full of joy, it spills over onto all those Christian hedonists who are thirsty. Now, that's what I was doing with Carla in that experience. I was thirsty for some Carla's joy, and I knew what brought Carla joy, and so I like to bring her joy, and so I do things that bring her joy because her joy, her pleasure spills over in me. And that's what this text is telling us tonight, guys. The, the man who, who fears God this way delights in, in doing what pleases the Father. You know why? It's, part, it's kind of like hedonism in a way. We want the Father's joy to spill over into us. We have learned to love Him so. We've learned to love His law so much that we can't help but delight in it. So we delight in His commandments. Now, let me make an application here about worship. Uh, worship 
is fundamental. If we could reduce worship to its lowest common denominator, you'd, I think you'd come up with this word right here, obedience or holiness. Lowest common denominator. Worship is obedience or holiness. But it's also adoration. If you come uh, Sunday morning into the worship center, and if, if you're not able to join in adoration this coming Sunday... It may be because you haven't learned to delight in the Father. Guys, we adore only what delights us. And I think the psalmist is making that point here. Verse 2 and 3. How am I doing? (laughs) Okay, verse 2 and 3. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will never be forgotten. Now, I, I, I tell you guys, Father's Day is coming up and uh, many of us are fathers and we're thinking about our children, our families. And, and look what, listen again to this text. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will never be forgotten. Ladies and gentlemen, this is, this is not a promise without exception. Wouldn't you agree with me? I mean, we, this is not a blanket statement that will, without exception, will take place because some of us in here have experienced just the opposite. It's not a promise without exception. Uh, not all godly fathers are wealthy in the eyes of the world and neither will all children of, of the godly parents prosper. But there is a principle here that is at work. Godly fathers are investing in the future of their children. I think that's the principle here. I had a father call me yesterday, a father in this church, and said, look, I've got, and he's got three girls, one boy, and he said, I, I've got children coming up, and I, I want your advice on how to, how to raise godly kids, just whatever you can tell me. And I said, well, let me, let me write some things down, and, and I'll, next time I see you, I'll give it to you. And I did. I looked at some things and wrote some things out for him. Some of the things I tried to practice is when I was when Holly and Brian were at home. But one of the things I put in the packet for him was a card. I, I duplicated a little card that I've got under the glass in my desk. If you go in there right now, you'll see this card. And I've looked at this for year after year after year. And what it says, and you've heard me say this before, what my family needs most from me is my sanctification. And, and my what I'm trying to tell this guy is I can give you all kind of steps and principles and practices to follow in your home. And they're good things to do. You ought to practice these things in your home. But it boils down to this. The most important thing as parents we can do for our kids is our personal sanctification. If our kids see us with hearts after God, a desire for holy and righteous living, that will make an impact. That's the principle here, guys. Uh, the true heroes of our day are faithful fathers. And so my, in, in the week of Father's Day coming up, you'll probably hear some more this Sunday in the sermon from Jimmy, but dads, dad, never underestimate the power and influence that you bear upon your sons and daughters. Wealth and riches, he says, shall be in his house. Now let's look at this and let's take this literally and then let's take it spiritually. Literally, first, wealth and riches shall, shall be in his house. If, if you read this through the eyes of the Old Testament person, if you were a Hebrew reading the psalmist David here, you would be thinking in the terms of the covenant. 
And the Hebrew knew of God's covenant. They knew the Pentateuch. They knew the first five books. And they knew Genesis 12. And they knew that the blessings of the covenant involved posterity, seed, lots of kids, offspring. And they knew it involved land or possessions, we could say, material possessions. They knew that. And so they're reading this psalm in those eyes, through those lenses, and they're thinking of posterity and land. Guys, that's why, uh, that's why Job's friends, you know, when Job started losing his kids and his possessions, that's why Job's friends thought he was living ungodly. You know, God's turned against you. You must be living in, in sin. They were looking at it through the, the eyes of the, old, of the covenant. Guys, literally, there is a, a law at work here for us in our lives today, and it's a positive and a negative in a negative sense. First, the negative. Uh, many people, including Christians, are kept poor and destined to poverty because of a sinful lifestyle. Do, do you have any relatives or close friends who are on the verge of destitution because of their lifestyle? I do. And their, their destitution didn't come overnight started years ago when they walked away from biblical principle and truth. This is the, the negative application here. The positive is this. How many wealthy people are in here tonight? How many, any wealthy people? <laughs> now, see, I've tricked you. Everybody ought to be raising your hand. Everybody. If you're in Christ, if you're a son of God, a child of, of God, you are wealthy. We're all wealthy in here. If it is God who gives the ability to be content and enjoy life's blessings. I know some people who are extremely wealthy. I mean, I can't even fathom their wealth. And they're miserable. Almost hardly a week goes by that a man or a woman who is very wealthy in this country doesn't commit suicide or, or blow their brains out with drugs. We can give you... Example after example. The point I'm making here, and I believe this is the principle embedded in this text, is that you can have all the wealth in the world and be a miserable person. You can have all the riches in the world and not be content. (laughs) That is a gift from God. Only God gives contentment. And when we experience contentment in our lives, we should give praise to God. Now, taken spiritually... No, and this is almost the same thing. No amount of wealth or riches can rival a contented heart. I'd rather, I'd, I'd rather be a man who is contented than a wealthy man in, in, the, in the eyes of the world. Then he says, and his righteousness endures forever. Ladies and gentlemen, the righteousness of the true saint endures forever because it springs from the same root as the righteousness of God. You believe in the doctrine of sanctification? I believe it's being, it's being taught right here. Our righteousness is, is, it finds its root in the righteousness of God and it's by His grace that the Father maintains the righteousness of His people. His righteousness endures forever. By the way, you know, in the New Testament, Christ is called, or the, is called the Lord, our righteousness. And we live by faith in the Son of God. And when we live by faith in the Son of God, we magnify grace, 
rather than nullify His grace. Verse 4 now, moving along. Verse 4, and I'm reading now the NIV. Even in darkness light dawns for the upright, for the gracious and compassionate and righteous man. This verse can be divided, I think, into two halves. Here's what I, th- I see two things in this verse. The first half, even in light, uh, even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. We could, we could call this the salvation of the upright. Uh, guys, in the scriptures, the light is often, a, the word light is often a metaphor for salvation. And here we see the salvation of the upright. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. And then the second half of the scripture, for the gracious and compassionate and righteous man. Here we find the attributes of the upright man. Now, the attributes are listed. They're listed as uh, in the, uh, in your text, it may be full of kindness. Anybody have full of kindness in your text or kindness? You have passion, compassion, full of compassion. All right, that would be the second thing, goodness uh, or compassionate. But the first thing is he is generous, gracious. Your text may say gracious. When I was studying this verse, that part of the text, and I was thinking of who, who in my life do I know that are very gracious people? You, are you around people that are very gracious? I'll tell you who I thought of. Some of you may not know these people because they, they left uh, Grace a year or two ago. They retired and left. But do you remember the Hamiltons? Do you remember David Hamilton and uh, Maryland. Maryland, Maryland Hamilton? They were on our staff here. She ran the bookstore. David was on a, the pastoral staff. They were gracious people, just gracious people. And aren't you attracted to gracious people? It's a, it's a mark of an upright man or woman. They're gracious. They're a generous people. Secondly, they are full of compassion or they're compassionate. The upright man tenderly feels for other people. The Scriptures teach us in the New Testament that Christ ached for people. He was very compassionate um, he was, the scripture says, touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He was a compassionate man. Uh, guys, compassion or goodness is appealing. People are drawn to a person who is a, a compassionate person, a person who is good. Uh, and then thirdly, the mark of this upright man is that he is a righteous man or a godly man. Uh, righteousness. It is you know the difference between righteousness and holiness? We use those often. I think I've even done it tonight. We use those two words interchangeably. But there is a, a bit of difference. Uh, what does it mean to be holy? Someone said it over here. Set apart? Sure, it means to be set apart. Uh, to be holy, the, to, to grow in holiness means that we are learning to what? Love the things God loves and hate the things God hates. That's you're growing in holiness. On the righteousness, on the other hand, to be righteous means or is the quality of always doing what is right. Now, righteousness is really sterner stuff than goodness. Um, goodness is more appealing. Righteousness, to be a righteous person is often a little harder. Let me illustrate this for... Well, I don't have time. <laughs> Run out of time here again. Um, 
the, the three attributes, the, the gracious, he is generous, he is good or compassionate, and this man is righteous. Uh, by the way, look in, uh, someone read Psalm 111, verse 4, real quickly. Somebody read just the previous, the chapter before this. Somebody read Psalm 111, verse 4. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Guys, the attributes of the upright man that we just read in Psalm 112 are the same attributes found of God in, in, in Psalm 111, verse 4. The point is, when God makes a man upright, he makes him like himself. So God is making us like himself. Uh, here's, an, here's an application for us. Guys, this is good news. This is good news for us. What I'm, what I'm about to tell you is that these attributes that we've just talked about, goodness, compassion, righteousness, these are not disciplines that we have to learn. Fundamentally, they are a part of us. If the Holy Spirit is resident in your life, you have within you the ability to respond to people in generosity and compassion. You have the ability to be a righteous man. You possess that ability. It's in you. And so this is, this is one reason why I think we ought to pray constantly. Um, when we respond to a neighbor and we, we, within us we don't feel like being generous or compassionate, we petition God, Oh, Father, live through me. Express your generosity or your compassion through me. I, on my own, I am unable to do it. But I know that I have the ability because the Holy Spirit resides in me. These attributes are within us because we belong to the Father. Uh, as someone has said, it's Christ in us, Christ in the world. Now, could we take maybe two, three minutes and look at verses 5 and 6 so I can keep my oath to you tonight? I promise I'd get through verses 5 and 6. And we'll finish. And now, next week, I'll finish the rest of the chapter. Verse 5 and 6, um, good, and we could say all goes well, uh, will, or all goes well with him who is generous and lends freely. Good, verse 5 and 6, will come to him who is generous and lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice or discretion. Verse 6, surely he will never be shaken. A righteous man will be remembered forever. Here we find the blessings of God to the upright man. Uh, here's, if you want to summarize this verse, here's three statements, short statements that summarize Psalm 112, verse 5 and 6. The providence of God has made him able to lend. He's a generous man. Uh, he, he, he lends freely what he has. And you could... You could apply this to lending money to people who are in need or being gracious to people who are in want or need. You could apply this to your material possessions. Are you generous with your material possessions? When your neighbor's lawnmower is broke, do you freely loan them your lawnmower? You don't worry about them ruining your new Toro self-propelled personal pace mower? <laughs> are you generous? Okay. So uh, this this is... Because the providence of God, God's blessings upon us, has made us able or enabled us to lend. Secondly, grace makes us willing to lend. The grace of God makes us willing to lend. Thirdly, wisdom tells us when to lend. 
See, the text says that he, he conducts his affairs with justice or discretion. See, the, the wise man knows when not to lend. There is a time when we have to say, no, this is a wise man. So, providence of God has made us able to lend. The grace of God is, makes us willing to lend. And wisdom tells us when to lend. Now, here's the application here as we close. How many of you in here own your own business? Okay, I'm not going to get down on you guys. For I'm, I'm just we'll make some application. How many of you? So we got maybe five people in here that own their own business. How many of you in here uh, ever hire people, maybe temporarily to work for you, maybe a maid, or you've got a you've got contractors that cut your yard, or how many of you occasionally hire people to work for you? That's more. Now, how many in here um, are an employee? You work for somebody else. Let me see your hand. Now, all, those of you who are retired, you, you can't get out of this. It, you, the application is for you too, guys. Um, the way we conduct ourselves in business, whether you're an employer or an employee, may be the single most important aspect of your witness for Christ. Uh, that's, that's part of the application of, of these verses here. Good will come to him who is generous and lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice or discretion. Um, work is not a stepping stone to higher things. Our work is an act of worship. If you're an employee and you're working for someone else, your work is an act of worship. And I, I want to close with a quote from Charles Spurgeon's commentary on Psalm 112, verse 5. Here's what the great Baptist preacher said. Men may call you a fool for your religion, but they should not find you so when they do business with you. Well said. Let's pray. Next Wednesday night we'll finish up. Oh, by the way, um, there is a, a Christ-centered focus of this text that we're going to see next Wednesday night. We, we're going to go, we'll go back to verse 4 and pick it out of there and, and, and interweave it with the, the last few verses of this uh, psalm. Let's pray. Father... We do thank you for your grace and mercy. And as we have uh, thought of again tonight, we thank you for your forgiveness. We are men and women who have been forgiven much. And we have learned and we are learning uh, more tonight how to, how to respond to you in a reverential fear. A fear that, uh, a response that causes us to delight in your commands because we we desire for your joy to overspill, your pleasure and your delight to overspill into us. We are thirsty people. Lord, teach us more of your grace. I pray, Father, that you will bless our brothers and sisters as they go to their homes tonight and protect and watch over us. And we anticipate Sunday morning when we come together in adoration and praise, for it is right to praise the Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.